Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I am your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Holly Clark. Now, if you are on Twitter, then you know she is no stranger uh, to the game, and she's doing some awesome things. Uh, we're going to, again, talk about how she got into education, how she got into consulting, and how she's mapping out this career that will hopefully entertain you, inspire you, and give you the gems you need to whether if you're already in there to push harder, or if you're just starting out, give you an idea of how you can actually get started. So for those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Simplecast, will you please introduce yourself, Holly? So I'm Holly Clark, and I live in San Diego, California. I am an educational consultant pretty much full-time now, and um, I also spend time in the classroom, uh, well, uh, as an administrator, really, as a director of innovative learning at a school outside of San Diego here. Oh, that's all right. That's yeah. different. Yep. And, and they allow me the freedom to do the consulting that we'll be talking about today. Excellent. So how did you find yourself in K through 12? <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, I, I always love to hear people's sort of origin stories. I literally got my, I got my job seriously. Eric Schoeniger was given a keynote at Mecca. Okay. Our state is the affiliate. Right before he went into his, his uh, talk, he said, I have a friend, in, a friend in the audience who is a guru in Google. If you don't want to know anything about Google, give him a holler. So I turn around to the crowd. I do this. After his talk, I walk up to the uh, then tech director. I say, you need to give me a job. And he said, I will. And six weeks later, I started yeah. working for the district. So that's how I got where I am now. Uh, how did you find yourself in the classroom and what were your dreams growing up? Uh, that my story is not quite as interesting, but um, I, I'm a K-12 educator because when I was a K-12 student, I sat in my classroom and said, this can be done better. I don't know what these teachers are doing. I remember it started in fifth grade and my teacher gave me a state report to do. And she came around and she had kids uh, pick the name of the state that they would do out of a hat. And I grew up in Southern California, so pretty cool state. I wanted Hawaii and if I wasn't gonna get Hawaii, it was over in my head. So she comes around, two kids in front of me, I forget the kid's name, I think it's Darren or Drew or something. He picked Hawaii. And I remember sitting there going, why can't I do Hawaii? Why do I have to do a different state? I picked Ohio. No, no problem with Ohio. But as a kid growing up in Southern California, I had no, I didn't want to know about Ohio. I found out that Ohio had the scariest roller coaster. So that, that made the connection for me. But I, I got there in a roundabout way. And I, I sat there in fifth grade and said, why are we doing it this way? And so every other teacher that came my way, I would kind of eyeball them with one eyebrow up and be like, yeah, I don't know if we all need to know the quadratic equation. And so that's how I spent my, um, my years in school. And it 
drove me to become an educator because I wanted to do better. Mm. So what was your entry point into educational consulting and how would you explain the work you do? Okay. So my entry point into the consulting kind of has a better story. I, um, I, when I became a teacher, I kind of wanted my captain o captain moment, the thing that would make me this great teacher. And I, I came of age in 1996 when the uh, internet was just coming out. And I remember thinking to myself, ooh, this might be my teacher, uh, my captain o captain moment. And so I went away to Columbia University, got my master's in ed tech, and I came back to school. And I kind of talk about this in a keynote, so if anyone's heard me speak, but I came back to back to school night in the Silicon Valley where I was teaching at the time. And I said to the parents, I can't wait to see what technology is going to do for education. I'm going to take your kids to the computer lab. We're going to do all these great things. And one of the biggest names in, um, uh, in technology at the time was a parent in my class. And he tapped me on the shoulder when I was done speaking and said, listen, I, I'm with you here. I'm going to give you a, a computer for every kid. And this is in the year 2000. And so there was no one-to-one. There wasn't anything. And so he sent me a computer for every kid, and it came with a note. And the note said, dear Ms. Clark, here's my contribution. Show the world what technology can do for education. And I was like, oh. No pressure. <laughs> so because I had that early one-to-one classroom and there, were no, there was no Twitter, there were no people blogging, it was me figuring it out with kids, I um, have been able to wrap my head around technology and the whole technology and teaching and learning because I've been doing it for now 19 years. And so that's what got me started in educational consulting because I would go speak at local conferences and um, people would hear my story and say, oh my gosh, can you please come share that with my teachers? And so that's how it started. And then that turned into keynotes and that turned into me um, getting asked to work for EdTech team and getting to go all over the world. Um, and that's, that's pretty much my story. So tell us about your Google journey and your mm -hmm. book, The Google Infused Classroom. What type of trainings or workshops do you offer? So The Google Infused Classroom is a book I wrote for the teachers at my school because there was just something not jiving with what we were talking about and what they needed to do. And so they would go to, let's say, a Google Summit even, and they would learn how to do a Google Form, but they didn't know how to take that Google Form, knowing how to make one, into um, how do we use this in the classroom to, to get at teaching and learning. And so the book got written for them to say, okay, you know how to do a Google form. Now let's talk about how you're going to use it in your classroom. And then the Google infused classroom became pretty popular because people saw the value in the teaching and learning component. And from that, I started to do like master classes and days of, of the infused classroom at schools. And it was really the excitement around what happened with teaching and learning because everyone is done talking about technology, I think, and they want to talk about how it can impact teaching and learning. And so it just became super popular. And, and it became super popular because I, I think because of the end impact that it finally had. When you walk into a school and you just teach teachers the tools, that's fine. But when you don't have do a good marriage of tools and pedagogy, I, it seems to be the component that's missing and, and is something that this training seems to answer. Mm. 
So when you talk about what's missing, you know, you do a lot of work around technology integration in the classroom and, and teaching, you know, what I call the mobile generation of learners. Yeah. What is the story behind how you got to this point sort of in your thinking? And we still have so many teachers and administrators who feel that technology is an add-on and nothing to be used for transformation. So I, I work with a lot of schools now, a lot, and this is what I have found. I have found that um, about 20% of teachers are doing great things in their classroom. 10% are killing it. They're rock stars. And 20 are doing really great stuff. 60% are kind of watching and want to do good stuff, but don't know where to begin. And another 20% are like, I, I didn't learn this way. This has no place in my classroom. And so um, I got to my thinking and the things I'm doing because of Twitter, because of the connections worldwide, because of the examples that were online. And I, and I talk about those first teachers because if you walk into a class of any of those people who are killing it right now, I promise you every single one of them is on Twitter or Instagram or is learning in some Facebook group or follows Casey Bell or, or is doing something. And um, so for, for educators and administrators not to see technology as an add-on, they've got to start to value social learning as part of a learning process for teachers. And then when we are, don't do that, and often administrators don't do it because they're not doing it themselves, we're just simply not gonna change the way technology looks in the classroom. Because you've gotta be using technology yourself to be able to teach about it. And uh, it just seems that the micro learning that happens on Twitter, the connections, the conversations, the serendipitous ideas that, that become and it to happen because of these um, social learning interactions is changing the world. And I think that we're not paying close enough attention to how important that is. And instead we're being like, oh, I don't know, I want to be on Twitter. I don't want to. And I think people don't want to be on Twitter because of Kim Kardashian. And I get that, but it's so much more. And we have to start valuing that in order to be able to change technology in the classroom as well as have PD, but. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, I hear you. I just, I find it interesting because I work with teachers who will tell me, I like paper. I, yeah. you know, I like pencil and paper. And they like to throw out that study yeah. It says, oh, you learn more when you hand yeah. uh you hand write it over typing it. But then what they fail to realize, and there's been more work on that study, is the people who actually went back and studied the notes learned more than if they had just written it. And when I and when I ask what well, you know, you're free to do, you know, what, you know, you want to do. I mean, it, it's your classroom, but we do live in a digital space in which disruption has changed. Yeah. So it's just changed the world. Like I grew up where, you know, the VCR was the size when I first was a child, the size of a suitcase. And then as I grew up, you know, Blockbuster Friday night was hot. And now Blockbuster is nowhere to be found, nowhere to be found. I guess you got to go on eBay to get a VCR or something because, <laughs> you know, with internet, 
and the and these devices, the kids have the world yeah. information in the palm of their hands, as well as being able to do so many things in terms of creation. And I still find so many teachers, uh, so many school leaders, yep. so yep. many people who lead districts yep. who when believe, they that. believe mm-hmm. that. And when they say, wow, we need to improve our numbers, uh, our testing is, is bad, they still go back to the paper. They still go back to sort of rote memorization. And you use the computer for uh, a remediation program. So to those people, I would recommend that they read Make It Stick, um, how people can uh, solidify learning. And in that book, they talk about something that's really important. And it's the idea that um, cognitive learning people have come up with of cognitive struggle and that you don't take information with you for the long term unless there is a struggle of some sort. And when we're putting stuff on paper, there's little to no struggle. So we're, we're worried about test scores. We're worried about these things. And it's because kids are not taking information with them because you think it happens best on paper. It happens best when you're struggling. So let's take for the example, a technology that you might, someone might call an add-on like Flipgrid. If I ask a kid a question and they write it down, There's not a lot of cognitive struggle because they can write it, they can erase it, they can change it, whatever. But if I'm going to make you or ask you to record on Flipgrid, you first are kind of in a struggle because now you're recording and and you feel a little bit of anxiety about that. You've got to be able to tell me in under 30 seconds or a minute what it is you're trying to get at. And that that takes some cognitive struggle. And so... When we ask kids to to find that place where cognitive struggle happens, they take the information with them. These people who believe in paper haven't used technology in this way, so they don't understand this. And I know as as a teacher, I taught seventh grade one year, and I was an English teacher. So they came to me the next year in eighth grade and I got the exact same students. And I was like, this is great. I'm not going to have to teach them nouns and verbs because I taught them in seventh grade and I got them in eighth grade. I'm like, okay, we're going to move past that. And they're like, Oh, we don't remember that. And I, I, I stopped in my tracks and I thought back and I started to do some research about what do you mean? I just taught you that. How do you not remember it? And it was because at that point in my career, I was still teaching and valued the old ways and the traditional ways. And, um, and I was teaching them and having them take a multiple choice question test at the end of my teaching. Okay, what's a verb? Okay, blah, or, you know, and there was no cognitive struggle. When I learned about the idea of cognitive struggle and started to use that as a learning tool, um, my kids took information with me. Their, their test scores shot up. And this is why we're not getting the test scores that school districts want because they don't want to move away from the traditional. I was with, and I'm sorry to keep talking on this one, but I was with one of the biggest thinkers in education. I had dinner with him Friday night and he's a personal um, hero of mine. I don't want to say his name because what I'm, I don't think he probably wants out there um, under his name, but he said, the schools that we have now are simply creating losers. We're creating kids who don't do well at jobs, who don't 
think entrepreneurially, who don't think bigger, who just um, regurgitate information and are like, what's next? What do you want me to do next? Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Instead of creating kids who are bigger thinkers. And while losers is a, is a strong word, we really are creating kids who aren't successful. Aren't, don't have the skills to be successful because we think paper in 2020 is a good thing. Like, yes, kids need to be able to write. They need to be able to do some things on paper. But in their, in their work life, they're not going to do that. And what are we getting them ready for? 1985 or a work life of 2030 when they graduate? You're, and I'll get on a, you'll get me upset. <laughs> I'll start getting mad because, oh, please do some learning people and start with make it stick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, or Google and Peace Classroom, but anyway. I hear you. I hear you. Hey, I, what I, I have just learned in my job is I'm here to provide support. And for those yes. teachers who get it. Yes you know, we're going to roll together. And those yeah. who, who don't, I, I at least try to, to bring them a win. And if I can show them a win-win of, okay, well, let's start with assessment, how you can do formative assessment, how you can do so much uh, summative assessment and have this stuff give you that data very quickly and save you time. I have found that some teachers, once they see that, get that win, they're like, oh, what else can we do? Uh, and then there are some that. That is so smart. Yeah, I teach standards. I do this. And then I, I like call me when the Chromebook breaks and we keep it moving uh, yeah. because I'm not. I know I have learned this is my seventh year in my job. And what I have truly learned is I can't make grown people do what they don't want to do. And I can't re rework how people think. And so I will forever be their champion. But if they are not ready to hear the word, I can't bring them the word. You know, I just let them know I'm here when you need me. And honestly, what you're saying right now is some of the best advice any tech coach should have. You cannot bring people to the water. Um, but you can give them those wins that will make them thirsty. That's all right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, we know there are educators out there, they're writing books, and a lot of them are turning those books into speaking gigs, uh, into consulting dates, presenting at conferences, creating courses. How did you leverage the success of the Google Infused Classroom to garner other opportunities? So I did something that um, I think is pretty important. I read a book early on um, about hacking marketing or um, I forget the name of the book, but it said this, it says you have to find a product market fit. And so I'm bringing business world into education world here. And when I wrote my book, I would do blog posts first of the things that were going to go in my book. And if it didn't hit and people didn't like it and they didn't retweet it, I was like, huh, people might not be into that. So I took it down and I would wait for those pieces that would hit. And when they hit, I was like, okay, this goes into my book. And then I would take it down because it's going to go into my book. But I, I, I did a product market fit of those things that people were yearning for. And that is how I constructed my book. When I went out and did speaking gigs through Google um, summits with EdTech team, 
I uh, would do sessions and I could, I'd see how many people came and if they were interested in it. And because I took that approach to writing the book, I think that has made it successful. And I don't think, and I know this because I, I was once the publisher of 25 books. Not everyone is turning this into a ski, uh, speaking gig. It's the people who went and made sure that the information that they are putting out there is timely, is um, helping educators. Those are the people who are able to do that. And also being a good speaker. Um, there are people speaking who are, don't have a book, but they, they obviously are, are saying something that's hitting with educators. So my advice for people who are wanting to write a book or become um, a speaker is you got to do a product market fit and you got to find out what people need. And then if that's something that meets your strengths, I think you go in that direction. Hmm. So I've seen you at ISTE and uh, I know you're out there making a name for yourself. <laughs> you know, getting some coin. Uh, how do you generate leads and how have you positioned yourself to districts as that go-to person when they want someone to do something with Google? Um, so that is many fold. Uh, I lo I've learned a lot from some of my really close friends like Casey Bell, who um, does a really good job of at the end of a presentation, there are links to, you know, work with me, some ideas, some free resources that keep you on people's minds. But one of the best people I've ever seen do this is this woman named Amy Mayer from Texas. And um, mm. I, I, I think it's Fried Technology. Yes, yes. And um, you may know her well. And she is a master at just making sure you remember her. And it's good because she is really talented and I think people should remember her. So I've watched, I've noted people like that. I've watched Casey do her thing. Um, I'm very good friends with Matt Miller. I reach out to him and ask advice. And Matt Miller gave me the advice that I needed to build an email list, which I have. And I find that sending an email out to people once or twice a month with really good information, and it has to be good information, um, makes them want more from you and be like, oh yeah, we got to do a PD day. Oh, I just got an email from Holly Clark. Let me call her up. And so those are the ways in which I think people are um, able to be front of mind when someone has to do a PD day. I know as an administrator that when a PD day comes up and we have some money to bring someone in, I'm always like, oh, what should we do? And we all sit there, even with all the people I know, um, I still have to think and it's whoever's front of mind. So uh, that's really important how you stay front and center in people's mind. All right. Now start hollering at your boy. Um, <laughs> so how do you deal with the pricing? And what I mean by that is the, the, the whole mindset behind it, right? You, you, we have educators, even those who are connected on Twitter, that believe stuff should be given away for free. Uh, when I mean f stuff, I mean all of it should be given away for free. That it shouldn't be charged on uh, teachers. You shouldn't charge for stuff on teacher pay teachers. You shouldn't, you know, do a course. You should just give it all away for free. Uh, you should be presenting at conferences uh, for free. 
how did you get that whole mindset of what I have is valuable? Mm-hmm. I should be paid what I'm, what I'm worth. Mm-hmm. And have you set sort of a bottom line for what you should say no to? Yeah. And how should other educators approach their idea about charging? So this is, again, a, a kind of a little bit complicated in that um, I want to change education. When I leave this world, whenever that may be, I want to have made a dent in education. And to do that, I have to pay my bills, but I also don't want to be um, so into coin, as you just called it, that I, um, I'm not able to change education because no one can afford me. So this is how I approach it. I right now have a free Flipgrid online course that I spent weeks doing. Took me a very long time, but it's free because I would go to conferences and people would take a Flipgrid course for me and then they wouldn't use it or they would use it in kind of a random way that I might not have chosen to use it for. And I needed educators to hear the story because Flipgrid's kind of that starter drug that gets teachers to try other stuff. So I have that for free. Um, and I think that's important. And it's and so I did that. Now, uh, I can't do everything for free. So I try and find this um, balance between the two. And when I go to a school district, there are opportunity costs because I, I could make a certain amount a day. And so I can't go to school districts for um, a, a smaller amount because what if I, I take that date and I go in for real cheap and then I could have made a bigger amount with more impact at another school. So I, I think of opportunity costs a lot, but I also ask school districts to work, let me know their budget because if their budget really is not very much, but I happen to be in the area and I'm going to be doing a bigger thing at maybe like a big school district, I'll reach back out to them and say, Hey, I happen to be in Dallas for something big. I could stop by your school for that amount that you need um, the next day. So I can take travel costs off of that. I can do whatever works. And I, I try to really be respectful of that because not every school has the same budget. And while I have to eat and, and pay my bills, um, I, I do that at the bigger ones. And then I reach back out to the small ones. There is a school district in Mississippi right now that both my friend Alice Keeler and I are going to go to for free because we feel like that particular school district, we know that they have the lowest um, marks in the nation. And that becomes somewhere where I want to just help out of my own love of wanting to help. So sometimes I do that too. Wow. I'm from Mississippi. I live here and I've <laughs> never done a free gig at a school. Uh, <laughs> I've, never done, I've never done one. Wow. Yeah. Well, we, we, uh, Alice and I got, um, t- uh, someone from this school district and I forget the name reached out to us and was like, we re- I read your book and it's changed everything. And I was wondering if you could just answer a few questions for us. So we jumped on a Google hangout with this girl and um, she told us about her school and how they're trying so hard, but they don't have any money for PD. And Alice and I, our hearts broke. And we said, we're coming. Wow. So that's how it worked. 
That's all right. When are you coming? Um, well, we just had dinner the other night and we were like, we have to get to Mississippi. So I think we're going to try to do it in early fall. Okay. Whenever they can accommodate us. But we're coming in probably one or two days and we're going to see what we can help with. Bring free books, everything. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, this has been a good conversation. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I love the gems. I love the gems. <laughs> uh, before we go, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received from another entrepreneur? And what is your advice mm. to those educators who want to get in the game? Hmm. Well, you know, um, I don't know if the advice was in words, but this is a person I watch and I respect and admire. And, and he and I are, uh, spend a lot of time texting, but I really watch Matt Miller. And I watch Matt Miller because I think Matt Miller is all genuine. And I don't think he's in it to make money. I think he's making money, but I think he's in it for the right reasons. And I think when you meet Matt Miller, you're getting Matt Miller. Um, he's goofy. <laughs> he's not pretentious. He's not, uh, hey, I'm a big speaker. He is the most um, real person there is. And that's the person I want to be. I want to be in this not because Google Infused Classroom is popular or maybe something I, someone saw me speak. I want to do this for the love of students. And, um, and to, before I leave this world, say, you know what? We can't teach kids to get them ready for 1985 anymore. And please help, help us do that. Um, and so I'm excited by watching Matt Miller. I'm excited by, there's a new um, app coming out called Ed Space. Um, and it's, I think you can find it at Ed Space Live, what they're doing to change social learning for teachers and get the conversation getting broader with teachers, I think is going to change education. Um, and so watching those two, Matt Miller and Ed Space Live, gets me excited to be a better educator. Mm. That's all right. That's all right. Well, thank you, Holly, for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Um, and I, I loved hearing your story as well. So thank you for sharing. You're welcome. It, it was, it's been interesting. And it's been an interesting ride to get here and to learn throughout the years and sort of figure out, you know, where I'm going to go. Uh, I, I love online learning. Uh, last year, uh, via the Mississippi State University's RCU, I got cool certified, which is uh, certifications for teachers who have to teach online, have to get. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a great uh, course. I love online learning. And, you know, how do you design a course that's interactive, where it's not just video, PDF, discussion, but people have to actually do something with it and interact. And so that's. Please, please take that on and change that because I'm taking an online course right now at a city college. That's what they're called here in California. Mm -hmm. And it is the worst experience of my life. The teacher has me answer multiple choice questions that I go look up online because the ones he's asking are tests that are available online. I learn nothing. And I keep thinking to myself, please use Flipgrid, please use something. And so 
please change that for people? That, that's the plan. Uh, I've created uh, a PD course for our teachers so they can go through and get hours they need to renew their license. And two of the modules uh, that I have sort of this year uh, been f developing, I have one on blended learning and one on G Suite. And, you know, in that, I, I have them submit a lesson plan. Uh, I have them create a test, you know. So the Google one is not just these videos. Of course, there are tutorials in there, but it's, okay, uh, via Schoology, they have this uh, Google Drive assignments function. So in my drive, I went in and created like 11 slides, just blank slides. And then with, with that, I can send it to them like you would in Google Classroom. Everyone gets their own copy, but the directions are take the slide deck and teach me something. And so I don't want them to just, you know, go through a tutorial, but okay, how will you use this in the classroom? And so there's other stuff that I'm, I'm really having them do. And there is a flip grid in there as well. Uh, but I'm really wanting them to, when they leave this module, not just get the hours, but to leave it and be able to know on a practical level, how can I use this in my classroom? For your edupreneurness, um, I think that is a really big growth area and an area that needs a lot of help. And I would reach out to people in the game and I would present at conferences on e-learning because that is where we need some change. Yeah, that, that would be awesome too. Uh, that I might be able to do that. I'm, I'm just excited. Uh, the entrepreneur is coming out next week and I'm so excited about it and the names in there. Oh my gosh, people. Uh, the interesting thing about it is when you hear from these people, if you really know these people as friends, this stuff may not even be new to you per se. But if you just like, I know them from Twitter, I see them on the stage, I see them signing books. And when you hear them really talk about their personal lives and talk about their inner thoughts about education and the impact they're trying to make and how they're crafting their business, this is going to be some stuff that as I'm, as I was doing the interviews, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so good. So good. And now it's put together. That's the key thing. It's put together and this thing is going to be hot. So I'm hoping that educators. I uh, saw it. It looks fantastic. I hope that people will go to it and learn from, I mean, you have great people on there. Yes. Uh, Tom Murray, uh, people that although I see them a lot around even the stuff that they were talking about on your um, trailer I was like yes. that's a good point so I think you're gonna do well with this thank you I appreciate it I appreciate it now people you know how I do this this podcast episode will be on Apple Podcasts, iTunes Stitcher Simplecast and Spotify I need you to follow subscribe share on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. I, ne I need you to show some support because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Holly Clark, for coming on and dropping gems. As always, people, invest in you, edu, peace.